and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which tells you everything you ever wanted to know about interiors and how to make it all really work for you in your home. We're delighted that DFS is once again sponsoring The Great Indoors podcast. DFS has been designing and making sofas for five decades and also offers a wide range of stylish bedroom and dining furniture. Now, the last episode, we had a great time nosing around Pearl Lowe's gorgeous country house. Bit less glam today. We're back in our (laughs) usual spot recording in my library. But don't do yourself down, Kate, because coming up, are we going to have a nose around that pretty glam development in your downstairs loo? I'll have dressed to match. You do. You look (laughs) gorgeous. In addition to my glamorous downstairs, Lou, we will also be talking about the launch of a fantastic new interiors book by Fiden called The Greatest Rooms of the Century, and that's been quite big news in design publishing. And of course, there will be some design crimes. But first, as we record this, it's just been Clerkenwell Design Week. So this is a week, basically, where the whole design district of Clerkenwell in London is taken over with a real festival of design, where lots of new ideas and product launches are shared and talked about. And Kate and I got invited along to the press breakfast, where we bumped into lots of our journalist friends, lots of interior design peeps, and we went roving with our little podcast microphone and picked up some really good interviews that we're going to share. So, first person we bumped into was Kat Burrows, who writes for the Sunday Times Home section, and she really summed up why Clark and Well is important and what it's about. I love Clark and Well Design Week because it's the one time of the year that I get to go round the showrooms and the suppliers that the architects use. So it's serious, architectural, industrial almost, furniture which is sold into professional projects. And I usually look at quite decorative, dressy stuff. But this is exactly the type of piece that will filter down. And in a few years, you'll see something from Vitra almost exactly identical on the high street. So it's a great place to look, keep your eyes on it and see some trends developing. So the press breakfast, it was quite a nice... Quite buzzy. Do. It was quite a nice buzzy. And Darren Newton, who actually founded Clark & Well Design Week, was there to celebrate that this is their 10th year. It's amazing, isn't it? He said that when they first started, they had 20 showrooms and a handful of exhibitors. And now in the 10th year, they've got 107 showrooms, global brands who are often launching products for the very first time to the world there, spread over eight venues um, with hundreds of products. So it's it's a really big deal now in that Yeah, field. and people coming from all over the world, all over Europe. Yeah. But yeah, it was really, really exciting. But the big sort of like headline theme, if you like, of Design Week was this sort of workspace and having a conversation about how the workspace has really changed in this digital age, if you like. So before it was very much the office chair, fixed desk, you know, bit of storage. It was sort of based on the fact that people started working with a typewriter, a very fixed position. And now we're on laptops, we're on tablets. And that was interesting because they're now changing furniture to kind of 
actually to suit our bodies and how our bodies are, rather than saying, that is an office, it looks like that with that table and that chair. And it doesn't matter if it's not comfortable. You know, the ergonomics has become increasingly important. But now there was Sebastian Rong was there of Established and Sons, and he's designed a chair. It's more like a chaise longue. It's like a lounger. It was. Um, And so you could adjust it, I think, to suit. But the idea was that you might just as well be working on a laptop and you want to be comfortable rather than sitting very upright on a hard chair at a desk which doesn't suit you. So there's very much that notion of movement coming into work. Yeah, and the fact that lots of research has been done that it's really good to move your body throughout your working day. Like it's not actually good for productivity to be stat static at a Uh, desk and the way we kind of work on projects where people are often in teams but those teams dispel and regroup hot desking I suppose if you like isn't it doesn't work for me I'm far too territorial (laughs) about that but what um Erwin Burilek said and he designs a lot with his brother Ronan they did the fabulous serif tv oh yes Um, they do all sorts of furniture and he said that ergonomic is very important he said you behave properly with your body so your mind will work nicely and I really like that he's French so there's you know it sounded better when he said it it did (laughs) (laughs) you behave no I'm not going to do it (laughs) but I think he, he makes a very valid point so it was really nice to bring it back to how this is relevant in the home and we bumped into Basola Evans didn't we from Living Etc associate editor of Living Etc and Homes and Gardens and she had a really nice view on it I thought want to see the new trends. I mean, I love Clark Conwell in particular because it's so, it's so um, innovative. It always feels really fresh. Um, I like the surroundings. Personally, I trained journalistically around this area, so I know this area quite well. And so it just feels like a real connection. And is it relevant to sort of people in their homes? There seems to be an emphasis on the workspace this year. Do you think they're still relevant? Yes, absolutely. So I'm particularly interested in that whole area of the workspace because I think that we there more and more of us working from home and what I find really interesting when I speak to people who work from home often they don't want to work on this sort of designated desk so they're moving a lot of people say no no actually I work on my sofa and I work on my dining table and it's quite interesting how people want to work and how that whole workspace is evolving it's really evolving yeah yeah so we don't just want this sort of desk with a chair and and, and, and all the formality around it we're looking for more relaxed spaces we're doing different things within our workspace so we're working but we're relaxing we're reading and I think that's an area that's going to evolve really quickly and interestingly over the next few years so obviously so if we both work from home and uh, you know I like a stat so I've been <laughs> stat queen, stat queen. <laughs> I still haven't got my jingle um, I've been looking around and actually we've just had on the 17th of May was national work from home day oh, who did knew? not know that oh, oh, we could have had a party but it was to encourage and promote flexibility and home working and I then found some research from the TUC which says that more than 1.5 million people in the UK now work from home which is wow. proportionally it's probably not that many but it's an increasing number it's increased by 20% in the last decade and it's mostly women in their 40s and 50s ah oh, trying to do that family yeah, it's life the juggle, work isn't it? juggle yeah. yeah so it's really interesting so I mean, I've obviously just done my office, which is with not... The gold ceiling. Well, it's not your traditional office with a gold <laughs> ceiling. However, I do have probably a fairly traditional table and chair set up. 
I do have a comfortable chair in the corner, which I go and sit in if I need a little nap. I mean, to read something. <laughs> um, but that is still quite traditional. So you, you very much like to sit at a sort of fixed desk position, because I find that throughout my working day quite challenging. And I will be found with a laptop on the sofa at some point. I just sometimes want to like, especially if I've got stuff to read or go through, or I've got some Pinterest work to do. I just like to be away from that fixed Oh, I desk. definitely come down to the sofa. I mean, at the moment, because it's mad exam time, so we've got A-levels and GCSEs in this house, and my younger son... So everyone's son, at home work, Everyone's at home working, and my younger son has decided that he works better actually at my desk because it's less distracting because it's not full of all his stuff. So I've been working on the sofa for the last week or so, which I do quite like, actually. Yeah. I think that's a really good point about kids as well, though, actually, because so many children obviously have their desks in their bedrooms, but it's not actually (laughs) the best place to work, is it, in terms of, like you say, distraction, and then also using your bedroom as a place to then relax and chill out. Well, exactly. My oldest one quite often comes down to the kitchen table if he wants to do a timed essay or something to revise, just because it's a different... It's a change of scene. You get a bit sort of stir-crazy, don't you, at the same place all the time. But that said... They're all still sitting at tables and chairs. Chairs. And again, I'm probably more flexible because I do everything on my laptop. So I can sit on the sofa with my feet up or have my feet on the coffee table. Do you ever go out to like a library or a coffee shop or anything like that? No, I really don't. I don't like the coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I must admit it's not something I do, but for me, I can't or haven't wanted to dedicate a room just to be my office. You know, you've converted a spare bedroom, haven't Mm. you, into your office. I've actually used our dining room. Now, we've got a dining room that's separate from the kitchen, so it's which has its own little kitchen table in it. So it's not but a room we use very often. But you also need a dining room, don't you? Because your kitchen's it. not enormous. I mean, it's you've got a table for, for the three of you for breakfast. Yeah. Yes, yeah. you couldn't have dinner with six people in your no, kitchen, so you do need right. a dining room. So we need that dining room. But for 90% of the time, it's used as my office. So I've had to design it in a way that it works for me as an office. So it's got loads of storage. Is it all books or do you have plates and glasses in other cupboards as well? I've kept all my plates and glasses in the kitchen next door, actually. So the office is just office storage. But the idea is that it can be quickly converted to look like a dining room. So you're not looking at piles of stuff and actually if we were doing Christmas or something I could just pick my notice board off the wall and hang a painting there instead yeah so you know not having to look at my yearly planner while we're having having the but you never do that but it's a nice yeah. idea but yeah. so I could do that so I've had to think about yeah a room for two purposes there was a table been designed there by Konstantin Gritchich. Apologies if I've pronounced his name wrong. And he was saying that now you need a table that can, you know, you can have your dinner off it, but it can function as a desk, but it's formal enough to be used as a meeting table. And I think it was covered in, it was probably something much fancier than lino, but the point was... It felt really tactile, It felt it? really tactile, but, you know, you need to be able to wipe it clean if you've had dinner on it, but equally... People might want to sort of scrape laptops and, and, you know, maybe use cutting tools or things on it. So it's about getting the right surface that works for all those different activities that you might use it for. So I think designers are having to think much, much more sort of in the round now when they design office furniture because it's not necessarily going to go in an office. Enough of the workspace. We then left the press breakfast, having had some very nice little smoked salmon sandwiches, and we went out on the press walk, which is where the organisers of Clark and Well Design Week sort of show people the highlights of what's out there. 
And we bumped into Russell and Jordan, interior designers extraordinaire who run the 2LG studio. Oh, oh, fellow listeners, if only we had vision. We've just seen a gyrating robot up and down a, um, up and down a pole in a window. Is it pole dancing oh, yeah, that's robots? The future. That's the future, Kate, right there, pole dancing robots. So, what you're saying, what you're loving? We were just enjoying these powder-coated pieces. Garden just giving them a stroke. But colourful garden furniture. Colourful garden furniture. It doesn't so, have to be wooden or concrete. I mean, they're a bit too primary for me, but what do you think? Triangles as well. Good shape, actually. For getting yeah. lots of people to sit round. Uh, Not if you get stuck on the corner. On <laughs> <laughs> circles, better for that. <laughs> I find circles quite difficult. You love a circle. I table. like me knocking under the table. Um, oh, the old oh romantic God. you. <laughs> so, what is it you're looking for today? What you, you know, when you're looking well, around, there's so much to see. What's your filter? I, there's lots of hard finishes hit at Clarkman, isn't there? Because there's lots of architects around, but I'm yeah. quite keen on the lighting at Fabric, fabric the old nightclub. Go to that, I'm super any... into looking for some nice lighting. I'm looking suppliers. for a dining chair as well. We've got a project that we're working on, and we, we're still yet to specify the dining chairs. So sometimes oh, so you just see. So you're even looking for particular items that you can put into projects. Yeah, some always. <laughs> always, always, always. You've got the table. Every day. You've got the table. We've got the table. Are we allowed to know what colour or what material? It's our table. It's, it's another one of Stanley, our Stanley tables. But we're doing a, a lilac and sort of lilac and green and aluminium. Yeah. So yeah. you're looking for coloured chairs. Yes. Yeah. So you, you boys are all about the colour. Just tell our listeners what you do. I mean, we've known each other for years, haven't we? You've yeah. Been, yeah. You've been um, two LG studios been running for how many years? Five. Five. Now, five and yeah. a half. Yeah. yeah. I know. So yeah. any fans of the Great Interior Design Challenge? Jordan was the runner-up of Series One. Yeah. And just now it's just been replayed, hasn't it? it? Yeah. yeah. It was oh, on yes. the Home Channel. Our nieces were like, "We saw you on telly the other day." I was like, "Did you?" Yes, you did. Back in the day when you were coffee shop owners. Oh my God, do you know what I mean? Are we allowed to know about colours? Because you're always ahead of the curve. You've just done your dressing room in cobalt blue, a colour so close to Sophie's heart. She may have mentioned her hall once or twice. She's teamed it with bright pink, but you've used a more sort of lavender lilac colour. Yes, we have. are those colours you think are coming through or are they personal well, to you? I, we actually wrote a blog about three years ago on how much we hated lilac. And now <laughs> we're, we're eating and now we're using it. Oh, how funny. So, yeah, there's going to be a lot more lilac. Sometimes when us. you hate a colour, it does it sinks in, doesn't it? And you start to think, Ooh. I think it's quite difficult to use lilac, no? What, do, what are yeah. you putting it with? So that strong blue. Yellow, pink. Like black For us, and white. lilac has become like a move on from grey mm. because actually all of the woodwork in our house is rose theatre, which does have a little edge of lilac to it. Yeah, well, it's and like a lilac-y grey. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It looks so different in different lights, doesn't yeah. it? But it's, it's definitely like a neutral. And then we've just amped up the lilac and sort of. So, do you think the millennial pink is going to be replaced? Oh, I don't think more? it's going to go. I don't know. I think people. It's becoming classic, isn't it? Millennial yes. pink in all of its various forms mm. is becoming it's very, very easy known to and use easy to use. And adaptable, isn't it? So yeah. it's a great colour. What do you, how do you find clients? Because I know there's still a lot of resistance to pink from a lot of people because it's seen as a very feminine colour. When you're working with clients, are they, do they embrace the pink? Well, sometimes clients bring us on board so that they can persuade their other half to embrace yes. the pink. Yeah, <laughs> marriage counsellors slash designers. Yes. Yeah, always. But no, actually, the, the gents seem to be on board with pink. We just yeah. done a whole pink sitting room for a family and he was way on board with it. Some of our male clients have a sort of competitive openness, don't they? I'm open to it. I'm open to it. <laughs> Like, no, 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 I'm not that guy. More open than you. It's the op- opposite to toxic masculinity. Yeah, yeah. Competitive openness. Oh, brilliant. Hashtag. Hashtag. Oh and, and, but what about the lilac? Do you see the boys 
embracing the lilac? Is that, is that I think lilac's thing? easier than pink for some unknown reason. Yeah, Actually, you can push the grey angle with it, can't yeah. you? You can push the blue angle. It's a much cooler it's, it's colour, though, isn't yeah, it? It's yeah, a blue. Yeah, yeah. Well, millennial pink is beige, isn't well, it? Well, yeah. <laughs> it's just brown, darling. <laughs> yeah, that's what I say. So, Sophie, lilac, where do you stand? Are you competitively open to lilac? <laughs> of course, I love all the colours. I they bet you don't love that me. one. No, do you know what? I do quite like a bit of lilac, and I'll tell you where I like it. quite like it with a really lovely emerald green. I love those two colours together. And well, I, I know... think that's the colour of their table. They were talking about, oh, yes, it isn't it? Oh, yes, it is, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, so they do that really, really rich emerald green. They're also talking about putting it with yellow, which I think is quite edgy. To live with it, though, in my house, I think lilac's tricky i think it can look really modern and really edgy but then you've got to have an interior that matches that i think otherwise you could fall into ruched kind of venetian blinds aka 1980s really fast with lilac but it's it's one of those colors isn't it i mean i feel pretty sure that everybody listening will have a slightly different idea of what lilac is because purple isn't it well it is but actually if you look at a lilac tree which have been in blossom recently, that's quite an intense purple, which I don't like. But the colour that people are talking about, it seems to me, when they're referencing lilac in colour schemes, is much paler, it's a bit bluer. I mean, it's it's teetering into sort of lavender territory, isn't it? And obviously, some people will look at that and go, oh, it's mauve, and you don't want to be looking at mauve. <laughs> So it's difficult, isn't it? I mean, colour is so subjective. It's so nuanced. And but but there will was... be a lilac for everybody. Some people will like those very washed out, grey lilacs. Well, and that's what Russell and George were saying. It's me. easier to push because it's got some grey. And you see, that probably would be more see, that's for me. Not, so, that, yeah. so there's a lilac for you, whereas I actually would be with that lilac blossom that's yeah. resonating at a little higher frequency. Yeah, that would that be my colour. Resonating. <laughs> it's giving me tinnitus. <laughs> But also interesting, you know, we had that conversation, feels like a lifetime ago, when we started this podcast about whether Grey was dead. Mm. Um, we won't get into that now. <laughs> sit, sit. But them saying that pink that has one. now become moved into classic. classic territory, which is really interesting because it's so easy to use. And actually, if you're looking at lilac being difficult, you suddenly might fall back on pink and go, oh, that yeah. was easy. Well, interesting. So, so pink's been really challenging, I think, for people for a long time, but it is not going away. No, it's, it's just still keeps here all there. the time. And I think, you know, we're seeing it less as a blush and more as a kind of putty warm, you know, I'm seeing warmer... Brown well, again, blush pink, pink just basically means all those colours, doesn't it? Like downpipe means dark grey. Blush mm. pink means lots and lots of different shades candy, of pale pink. It? Yes, exactly. It's a bit mm. sort of dirtier. But I have stats. Oh, so pink stats. I have pink stats. I just have a couple of pink stats, actually, from our sponsors, DFS, who said that sales of pink sofas last year were up 146%. No way. Well, that's extraordinary, isn't it? Because you'd look at it and you'd think that can't be a practical colour for a sofa. She says, yeah. looking at her pale pink sofa. There's <laughs> <laughs> so a woman who knows. Yes, exactly. It's, it's not the most practical. Um, but again, if you have the right material, it's fine. And also, yellow sofas up 87%. Ooh. I bet you'd like a yellow sofa, wouldn't you? I would absolutely adore a yellow sofa, and I am due a new sofa. Will it be pink? Will it be yellow? You're well, going to have to watch that space. There's also green. Could it be lilac? <laughs> Could be lilac. Green sofas up only by 6%, which oh, so I'm surprised by, I'm because surprised green by. paint is everywhere. Green feels like it's the new colour. Yeah. Or definitely when it comes to walls. But that hasn't translated through into sofas. So what's interesting to me is DFS, who are the biggest furniture retailer 
sofa manufacturer in the UK, is saying that they are selling a lot of pink sofas. Really shows to me that pink is very much cemented. Well, clearly, because it's all over the country, it's not just that sort of London magazine world bubble. It can find its place everywhere, whereas I look at lilac and I think, oh, I'm not sure. It's a bit Marmite. I think it, it oh yeah, it'd be interesting to see. I think it is Marmite. And those other new colours that's coming through, mint green is on the way. Well, Another what do you think Marmite. Of that? Well, you see, I like looking at it, but I don't know that I'd have it in my house yeah. yet. Yeah. I mean, obviously, nothing's new, is it? But it feels like they haven't been around for a long time. Yes, they've so they come feel back fresh in. and new again. And on that note, we should maybe talk about the last person we bumped into at Clark and Well. Katie Tregiddon, a design writer who is an expert in craft design and sustainability. So talking of nothing being new, she was really interesting. Yeah, she was great to corner her because she's always knows what's going on in the design and, and the, the things coming round again and how we mend them. So let's, let's click, our, Katie. click our shimmery heels and <laughs> listen to Katie. Katie, I mean, I've... <laughs> followed your blog and all your work online you are a real cornerstone of the design community you're always commenting on what's going on you've got your finger on the pulse so it's great to bump into you here today what, and you just told me you've relocated to Cornwall. So what's dragged you up from Cornwall to be here at Clark and Well today? Oh, I, I've I discovered this is the tenth annual Clark and Well Design Week and realised I've been to all of them, which is oh, makes really? me feel really old. Wow. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't miss this for the so world. So what does Clark and Well have that you like? I think the sun always shines, which is lovely. It's uh, very walkable, which is nice. Yeah. It kind of always has this lovely festival vibe. There's lots of sort of music and ice cream and things oh, spilling I onto seen the. Ice cream. I'm <laughs> There's really always ice cream. Ready for an ice cream. Things spilling onto the streets. But I think increasingly, what's exciting about design fairs is that. I mean, really, you can see most of what's being launched and what's going on online and on Instagram and, and that sort of thing. I think the reason for actually being here is for the conversations, whether it's kind of accidental conversations like this one or whether it's the talks programmes. At lunchtime, I'm chairing one about uh, repair, restoration and mending. Um, and I think that's a really interesting subject um, at is the that moment. Feeling quite, yeah, that's feeling pretty topical. Yeah, I mean, I think in terms of sort of sustainability and people mending their own things at home, but also in terms of designers creating things that can be mended and thinking about that and have you seen that in Clerkenwell so not yet because I've only just arrived Um, but yes it's definitely happening so I'm chairing it for a company um, called Skinflint who salvage lights out of industrial buildings and restore them and give them a new lease of life and then the other people on the panel uh, one is a lady called Celia Pym who works with textiles and sort of darning and she's really interested in the kind of sense of absence in an item of clothing so the person that would have been in it and the activities that would have created that damage oh I love Um, that so she um, inherited a jumper from her great uncle and because he was an artist he would sit with a board over his knee and so the undersides of his arms got holes in and then her great aunt would mend them and so there's when she inherited that jumper it it held all these stories one of the other people on the panel is actually a furniture restorer and he is a volunteer at restoration station and they work with recovering addicts and teach them restoration skills Um, and there's this sort of idea that in taking something that has been damaged and unwanted and restoring it to something that has value there's a metaphor there for their journey Um, but I think it's really important in terms of sustainability as well we can't keep throwing out furniture and buying new furniture and actually 
to buy really well-made furniture now is very expensive. Yeah. Um, so for the normal average person doing up their home, you're much better off raiding your parents' attic or going down to your local flea market and buying something that you can mend and, as you say, add those layers but the, of But the model as well it. is broken, isn't it? Because it's still cheaper to buy a new piece of furniture very often than to repair the one you've got. Yeah. And that's wrong. That, yeah. that needs to switch over. But there's an interesting sweet spot, and I think this is one of the reasons that mid-century furniture is so popular, mm. is that uh, both Skinflint and Restoration Station specialise in furniture from the 1930s to the 1970s, or lighting, because during that era, things were incredibly well-made, yeah. but easy to take apart and fix. Really Whereas after the 1970s, then you start getting a lot of moulded plastic, and you can't get into things to fix them. Yes. So I think that era stuff is actually the, the skills aren't difficult but I think people are frightened of breaking things and frightened of making things worse whereas I think if we encourage people just to have a go yeah. and there are so many videos on YouTube to learn how to do this stuff so that exactly. you can create something so it's still a really strong paint. story then this whole idea of taking something old either restoring it back to its splendour or reinventing it for want of a better word upcycling it making yeah. it new and it's interesting that we're here at Clarkamel Design Week which is celebrating a lot of pioneering new design mm. and yet within the conversation but I think you know, that looks like it's bunting that's made out of so recycled bottles. Behind, us, recycled. behind us is one of the installations so. that are peppering the whole of Clerkenwell. And this is a recycled plastic. Yes, it? it comes made from into- a recycling facility called Valiola, who James Shaw, who's part of Store Store, works with a lot. And I yeah. think they're my local bin collectors, that company. Yes, possibly. They're huge think, in yeah. London. Yeah. But the difficulty with recycling plastics is the colours get all mingled up and yeah. people making milk bottles only want white, for example. Yes. So I think this is about kind of showing that actually those mingled up colours kind look of look great. They look fantastic, yeah. don't they? It's like I've when you squash all your plasticine um, Worktops as well, made out of old glass Smile bottles in different colours and plastic. Great ones. Yes. Um, they do one made of yoghurt pots and it's all white with little flecks of silver from the lids. Oh. And it looks yeah. almost like granite with those little silver oh, yeah, the little spark the light. Yeah, it's yeah. a, a So sustainability is still a big hot topic in design? I think it's only going to get bigger. And I think yeah. it's interesting you make the point about, you know, we're here at a design festival, which ought to be about new products. But actually, I think increasingly design is about design thinking and, and using those clever creative brains to come up with solutions to problems. And sustainability is one it's of the a biggest problems. So it's, that we're it's actually about new and edgy ways to use old materials. Yeah. And yeah. James Shaw has actually come up with an incredible extrusion gun that you pour plastic pellets into the top of and it heats them and then it squirts them out the end like a plasticine extruder you know like you have oh, your kids wow. and then he almost draws furniture in 3D with this thing oh so my son's got a 3D pen which does that where you buy little bits of kit and it heats it up and you can draw furniture so it's that on yes, a giant on a scale, giant scale. It? Yeah. and it's a way that he's able to make handcrafted bespoke one-off pieces of furniture with literally the sweepings off the recycling facility's yes. floor Fantastic. so it's this kind of wonderful taking something that's even useless to the recycling industry and making really high-end beautiful desirable furniture so there you have it hot off the press from the very front line or something like that our thoughts on design week do let us know what you make of it all and you can find out more information links and pictures on both of our blogs i'm sophie robinson.co.uk and kate's is madaboutthehouse.com so still to come kate's downstairs loo reveal (laughs) but first kate tell us all about this book what is it, why it matters, and why is it so huge? <laughs> <laughs> 
It's so massive, you actually don't need a coffee table to put it on. No. It could just double up as your coffee table. That's right. Um, no, it's fabulous. It's by Fiden, who publish lots of gorgeous books. And they've done, for the last few years, I think they started in 1998 with a book called The Fashion Book, which is a sort of compendium of the most important fashion designers. And they do an art book. And they've never done anything about interiors before. And interiors has always been a sort of niche subject that was restricted to the pages of glossy magazines. And they've now done this book called Interiors, The Greatest Rooms of the Century. And it probably weighs as much as a century. So it's important in that Fiden have said, OK, this is a thing. And they've produced a book on it. But it's also completely fascinating. I mean, it's beautiful. I can't lift it in one hand. I'm holding a pen in the other. So um, <laughs> I'll just sort of point at it vaguely. Um, well, you got covered... very excited when you got sent this, didn't well, you? I know you rang in... me up going, oh, I want to talk about this book. It's covered in sort of tessellated velvet and it comes in three different colours. Four different colours. Now, I've got the pale grey one. It's called Platinum, darling. Because obviously a coffee table book about interiors has to go with your interiors. Yeah, so interestingly, there isn't a picture of a room on it. It no. is just this lovely kind of flocked velvet. It is beautiful. And it comes also in saffron, navy midnight blue. and merlot. Well, you I could got... call it navy blue, burgundy and yellow if you want. <laughs> 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 so it's 400 rooms by 300 designers in 27 countries. And through the last 100 years. Through the, and so that in itself is a hard task, right? Yeah. To pick 400 of the best rooms globally from the best designers. It's not just designers either, is it? There's artists and some celebrities, the, the, taste the makers. The defining characteristic is it's not hotels or it's office spaces. It, these, these are homes lived in by real people. So there is Coco Chanel's room, there's Karl Lagerfeld's room, there's... The Hearsts, the magazine editors' homes. So, I mean, it's it's clearly going to be an impossible task and there's obviously going to be things that are left out and people are going to disagree with. But I think they went through a process of nomination. So everybody, they went to various people, experts in the field, and said, who would you nominate? And then they just literally went for the ones that had the most nominations to come up with the final figure of rooms and what it's do you really, think about the selection i didn't really necessarily think about who was in and who was out I didn't so know. i went straight in going right who's in who's in so kelly hoppins in there of course uh, ben pentreath's in there yes i tell you who isn't in there who i was really surprised at william morris isn't in there and i thought for the last hundred years is someone who was so pivotal that's really interesting see, i didn't notice that so you actually. wouldn't notice that i just wonder whether it is a little bit glossy glam all the people they've chosen it's all Possibly. A bit. I mean, it's interesting. They've got Klein, Eve Klein in there. They've got Joe Colombo's huge figure in the 60s. They've got someone who did Eileen Gray's room. I think they've got a lot of the big names in. The problem is with a book like that, you can never have them all. No, But sure. what I was interested in is just they've got rooms from 1902, I think is the earliest one, which is a room by Edwin Lutyens, who a lot of us know as an architect, those fabulous red brick houses with the tall chimneys. But he did interiors too. And it is, to coin a phrase, it's a room with a pink sofa in it. <laughs> I only just made that connection. But it could be quite contemporary. Um, and there's another so room... So you, you're enjoying it as a way of 
documenting yeah. how designs change. So in that, so from that point of view, I would have quite liked to have seen it done through the decades, but they haven't they've done it alphabetically. They've done it alphabetically. It yeah, maybe that was the easiest way to do it. So it is slightly more difficult to, to look at it through the decades. So you're not looking at it as a, as a history of design book. You're very much just looking at it. And maybe that was purposeful. Here are just some really amazing rooms and look at how rich and diverse the world of interior design has been in 100 years. And actually, the foreword written by William Norwich is a brilliant read. I really enjoyed his insight. And he was obviously pivotal in choosing these rooms and putting it all together. And he talked about before... Oh, Kate, you're the stat queen. I can't even remember the dates. But before... The, the turn of the century, the late part of the 1800s, is there was no such thing as an interior designer. The architect designed the building and yeah. the interior. And then basically everyone just showed off all their posh stuff, all their antiques and their family portraits and their best china. And there that is was kind a, of the purpose of interior design, isn't Yes, it? and there is a fantastic quote, though, uh, from Elsie DeWolf, who is reckoned in, in America, at least, to be the sort of the mother of interior design as a business. And she said in 1913, over 100 years ago, before women got the vote, we are sure to judge a woman in whose house we find ourselves for the first time by her surroundings. We judge her temperament, her habits, her inclinations by the interior of her home. We may talk of the weather, but we are looking at the furniture. I think that's brilliant. I mean, and still true. Yeah, That's exactly what we do. We, you know, you do judge people. And what, for me, was very interesting about this book is that William Norwich talks about interior design. Now, we've talked a lot about it being much more accessible, but Pinterest and Instagram contributing to that, because if you wanted to see inside houses like some of these over the last 100 years, you either had to be invited in as a visitor or you perhaps bought an expensive glossy magazine and only sort of society people had their homes photographed. Mm. So you were naturally seeing the homes of the Rothschild and the Hursts and the sort of grand families because they were the people that you would put in the magazine. So that became sort of known as interior design style because that was all you saw. And, you know, you couldn't see a house in Japan unless you went to Japan. And now, because of Pinterest and Instagram, you know, we can see inside everybody's houses. We've seen Victoria Beckham's kitchen. We can see if we want to copy it. We see inside all the great designers. And also we're putting our own homes out there. So that idea, that I think is why interior design has become... A thing they call it now because, because everybody's looking at it. Yeah, I, I thought that was so interesting because they are private spaces at the end of the day, yeah. aren't they? Um, essentially, and unlike an, an outfit or a fashion shoot where you're you're going out and you're presenting yourself to the world, our homes tend to be a lot more of a retreat and somewhere personal yeah. that you don't necessarily... And I know a lot of celebrities to this day don't want their houses splattered all across the magazines and Instagram. And they choose not to share that. So it was really interesting, I thought, as well as the whole journey that photography and the technological age as well with our phones and being able to upload an image daily of our houses has opened up the kind of voyeurism of interior design. Yeah. And maybe that's why interiors are becoming so popular again, because of the wealth of visual information out there and it's just so accessible i just love it as a sort of collection of rooms all in one place some of which look really dated and horrible some of which could be relevant now and i just i think it's fascinating to have them all together in one place it is a beautiful book and one that you can go back to again and again it's kind of timeless isn't it and i think for anybody who's passionate about interior design it's a brilliant 
reference point. I mean, one word of caution for me is is they are rooms of the rich, famous and fabulous. <laughs> you know, they yeah. are all quite elitist rooms. But the book as well is full of lots of lovely anecdotes and quotes. I especially love this one by Carolina Irving, who was a renowned interiors editor and is now a textile designer based in Paris. And she says... Worrying about good taste, the conundrum of what is good taste or bad taste or no taste, has done more damage to interior decoration and one's enjoyment of it than anything else. And I couldn't agree with her more. Absolutely. So it's uh, got to that part in the podcast, Kate, where I need to visit your downstairs loo. <laughs> Are we all going? <laughs> We're all going. Come on, let's go and have Would a Would you like to go first? <laughs> no, show me the way. I don't think so, all three of us are going to fit now. No, we? we're not. It is very, very small. So to build it, we stole a bit of space from the kitchen. Yeah. And it is absolutely weeny. It's under the stairs, next to all the coats. And... Oh, but what a big reveal. What look at a dar moment. So it's basically been covered in a kind of wallpaper. Well, it's like a mural, isn't it's it? It's a mural, so it's called Coralful. So it's sort of browns, terracottas, your colours, creams. Yeah, absolutely. But like giant, enormous, five foot high Growing out of the skirting of board. Yeah, yes. I love it. And then it goes over the door as well. So, the, oh, so you're completely ensconced by coral yeah, when you're taking of, your pee. Four walls of coral. This is waterproof wallpaper. So it's actually made from fiberglass. So you could have a shower in here. Could have if a shower had, in there. If you had well, one. if I didn't have a wooden wooden skirting board around the bottom, yes. Yeah. But it's used for showers or as a decorative so panel you get behind that a from? bath. Got it from West One Bathrooms. Very fancy. And uh, the black loo, which you were very rude yeah, about. Yeah, it's a really nice black loo. I'm loving the low profile toilet seat. But well, it, is it? Does it get? Does it get a bit? inside what you know well I've not had it very long and I did speak to them and said you know it's very lime scale well. yeah it's matte well that's the new fashion oh, in bathroom oh, uh what do we call it sanitary wear uh gloss is over it's all about matte which uh you used not to be able to get and it's partly down to the new technology so we don't want shiny anymore so it's all about it's matte bath. Nice. it's a kind of it resin nice. thing and it's um wool hung so that very it looks sweet. like it takes up less space it is an absolute thing it's to behold. better than you expected isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's fair. quite yeah. taken with your black toilet yeah, it does well, look really slacky good luck keeping it clean there with three boys in the house yeah well <laughs> they don't use it <laughs> do they not no. it's mud it's very small it's, it's mostly mine <laughs> So now we come to your favourite part of the show, design crimes. And actually, I don't think you've put my black loo in your design crime, have you? I don't think I have. I think I'm rather taken by it. Let's keep an eye out for the coloured bathroom suite coming to a house in East Sussex soon. Have you got a different design crime for us then, Sophie? Well, yes, I've got a really good one because we've been talking a lot about with workspace today. I want to put in the design crime room one one fluorescent strip lighting. Oh, my granny had that I in her worked, kitchen. Well, I worked in an office for the start of my career over at BBC 
under strip lighting for about five years. And I know every time I get in a room with strip lighting, I had a really nice time in my job. I just hated the lighting. It was horrendous. It's, it's it pretty harsh, isn't it? it me for life. It's yeah. just, it's blue and chilly and it's harsh. And I think when I was working on a magazine, I used to work quite late at night, sometimes like nine, ten o'clock, we'd still be in the office, but the light never changed. Yes. It was just still <laughs> fluorescent, strip lighting, made everybody look a bit kind of ill. So, and the people do have it in their homes. You don't see it so often, but lots of people you stick see it, it in now, their kitchens. I've seen it, yes. But people, I think, perhaps use it in a slightly more subtle way. So my granny just had it in the middle of her kitchen. Yeah, like a big, um, massive strip, strip of it. it. And there was always that bit it? when it started to go, didn't it? And Ooh, it would flicker. Yeah. And also you just get dead flies Oh, yes, loads of, of that. But what you see now is people put them, they maybe hide them behind cupboards if they've got cupboards at the top. So they're, in theory, just throwing a sort of glow up onto the ceiling. Oh, yeah, like so the LED tape Yeah, kind of it's, idea. A bit, it's a bit clever yeah, way of doing it. But more it. subtle. But actually, again, to come back to the top of the show, when we bumped into Russell and Jordan, they've done a light with, I think, Cameron Design House, which is based on the idea of the old strip light. So it's that shape, yeah. but they've encased the top and bottom in brass or in different colours, and, and so it's a very cool, beautiful but thing. But it's still But it's a that strip. notion of a strip of light. Reinvented. Yeah, with softer lighting and, and beautiful fixtures and fittings. Well, I'm sure they've made it look gorgeous, but I'm sorry, boys. <laughs> still sticking strip lighting. I think they wouldn't call it strip lighting. We will put a picture on the blog because it's very beautiful. I would have it. So next episode is, quite incredibly, the last in the current series. But we're going out with a bang because it's a real goodie. We'll be taking a tour around the gorgeous home of none other than the fabulous Fern Cotton. So make sure you don't miss that one. And if you love it as much as we love recording it, please tell us so. If you can nip onto your podcast app and rate, review and subscribe, we'd be so grateful. And it really does help bring other listeners to the show. So just time for a little roundup summary of what we've covered in today's episode. So based on our visit to Clerkenwell Design Week, we saw lots of new trends coming through. There's a lilac story on the horizon. There's lots of fascinating talk about sustainability and a big conversation about Resi Marshall. Sorry, I've got to get that in there again, about how we are merging our workspaces and our home spaces. We also talked about a beautiful new book, Interiors, the greatest rooms of the century which we think is a wonderful reference book but remember it is showing the best of the best and my take home from this is there is no such thing as bad taste only your taste unless of course that is you're listening to our design crimes but i have to say <laughs> strip lighting is an absolute no-no <laughs> Thanks so much to DFS for sponsoring this podcast, to Kate Taylor, our producer, and to you lovely lot for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors. Do let us know what you make of it all. We'll be putting loads more pictures, links and info. Info? <laughs> Right, okay. <laughs> this is the stuff you should leave at the beginning or the end. Where do you go for your info? Right. Oh.